Hello, everybody. I'm Kevin Virgil with Frontera, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our latest installment of the Frontera webinar series, where we dive into the issues that are moving markets in today's emerging frontier economies. Uh, I'm about to say something I never thought I would say, which is that this year, Argentina is the world's best performing stock market. It's, uh, it's, it's for as long as I can remember, Argentina has been that most unfortunate of countries. It's a beautiful place, blessed with enormous natural resources, yet it's been cursed with a succession of governments who have destroyed its economy over and over again. But now it seems things are changing. Uh, the former mayor of Buenos Aires, uh, Mauricio Macri, scored an impalpable victory last year against the appointed successor of Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner and almost immediately began making huge changes. Uh, uh, everything from the currency markets to export subsidies, ending a long-running feud with prominent U.S. hedge funds, and last month he even hosted President Obama. All these things would have been unthinkable just a year ago, so that explains why the Argentine markets have performed so well. What does that mean for foreign investors? If this really is the beginning of a long-term positive trend, what's the best way to get involved? And what does the prudent investor need to watch? So as usual, we prefer to leave those answers to the experts. So this week, we turn to the capable hands of Fuente uh, in Buenos Aires. And today, we're joined by Brian Joseph, who is the head of sales and trading at Fuente, and Alejo Costa, who is the uh, chief economist at that bank. And gentlemen, I have to warn you, uh, lo siento, mi español es muy mal. So I hope we can speak in English. Uh, but I'll turn it over to you. Okay, thank you. thank you. So thank you guys. Uh, so let me, as Brian mentioned, give, give a, a brief um, intro on Argentina. Really, there's different issues in Argentina. Of course, the, the holdout issue, the whole conflict with holdouts from the 2005 and the 2010 exchanges has been one of the most uh, notorious ones. Um, so let's see where the situation stands right now. Argentina managed to make an offer that the judge, uh, the judge Grisey, the judge in the U.S. was, uh, who had issued this order that was blocking Argentina from making payments on the exchange bonds, uh, the judge found Argentina's proposal good enough to lift the injunction, uh, subject to a few conditions. One of the conditions was that Argentina had to go to Congress to approve this. At some point, this seemed extremely challenging because basically what the government had to do was to go to the same Congress that had supported the decision to be in default and the decision, the decision to defy what the judge had previously decided. So uh, on the at political level, this was a challenging uh, move and the government was extremely successful there. They managed to gather the support of more than 60% of, of the lower house and almost more than two thirds of the Senate to approve uh, the bill that uh, reach a solution with the holdouts. Basically a proposal that implied some haircut for those that were holding Paribasu claims uh, and a larger haircut in general for those that were not holding a Paribasu claim. Now, the only part pending from this whole process is that plaintiffs appeal Judge Grisey's decision at the appeals court. There will be a hearing on April 13th and most likely a decision will be uh, reached pretty soon afterwards, between the 13th and the 14th. So next week, from that perspective, will be a, a key week to see if, at the end of the day, this whole issue with the holdouts is fully resolved. In that case, what would happen is Argentina will be able to issue debt. In fact, the government is going to be in, in the U.S. next week 
to start the roadshow for the issuance. They are constructive and they're really optimistic that the decision from the appeals call will favor them. And, and from there, Argentina will no longer have to, will be subject to, to the injunction. Basically, Argentine's exchange bonds, exchange bonds uh, payments that were blocked will be unblocked. Um, and if anything, the worst case scenario would be to have some judgments in the US and Europe, potentially trying to get some attachments, but Argentina could easily find a way to financial engineer issuances so there is no there is no attachment risk. So for Argentina Sorry, uh, sure. uh, uh, can, I, can I ask a question about the, uh, uh, the upcoming bond offering, uh, the sovereign bond offering? So, uh, how, how large is the payment that the country will have to make to settle the, this long-running dispute with the, uh, with the hedge funds, with the so-called vulture funds, in order to close out so, that matter? <coughs> the bill includes an issuance of $12.5 billion. That's sort of uh, an upper uh, cap, uh, a cap for, for the potential issuance. We calculate $11 billion will be issued for the whole resolution. And then the concern that many investors have in terms of issuances for the year is how much money they're going to have to, they're going to need to fund the fiscal deficit. Right. Uh, I was, I was going to go there in a second, but let's start from there. Really, the estimation we make is that they're going to need around $7 billion uh, to fund a chunk of the fiscal deficit abroad, that means that overall, between the hold of resolution and funding the fiscal deficit, only from the Treasury, from the National Administration, you're going to have an issuance of around $18 billion in 2016. Um, that's a significant amount, and in fact, that has been the question number one we get from our clients how much money Argentina is going to issue, because there is a concern in the market that, that the supply might be uh, just too much. Um, the feeling we had is that, that at, the, at the end of the day, this is just a matter of price, right? Um, and when you look at how Argentina has traded, for a while, most investors had the expectation that Argentina would be a credit that, in terms of yields, would be around between 65 and 7%. And basically, gradually, they sort of pricing the idea that this supply was going to add around 100 basis points to yields. So we're now talking about yields between 8 and 8.5% and for the back end of the curve. Um, the, the market has already priced that in. We can see that in, in the bonds that, that, are, that are already out there in the market, like the PARs and the discounts, which are the most liquid bonds on the back end of the curve. Our feeling is that the market will absorb the, the, the initial issuance between 12 and $15 billion, but at a rate which will be between 8 and 8.5 eight and for the back end. Okay. That, and, that adding, well, that there's, there's <coughs> going to be provincial and corporate issues as well, right? Not only the sovereign, and the sovereign is, is having a local uh, a program of domestic debt for another $10 billion. So. Uh, that's just to consider that the local market will be stuffed with 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 pouring, uh, with uh, sorry with sovereign debt as well. And just just so everybody on the call understands, uh, what uh, is the current sovereign debt rating that Argentina carries from the major uh, rating houses? Well, Argentina is in selective default, right? So uh, for the, the the part that is external, um, since those payments are being blocked, 
uh, credit agencies have, have rated those as SD, right? So that's the default. Sure. Um, the part that is not under default is B minus. We believe that once Argentina gets out of the default, that should jump immediately to B or potentially B plus. And that's why the, all of those trade above par, right? Uh, so right. For those of you who have, who have not followed Argentina in a while, it's one of those exchange credits where it's in selective default, but it's, it trades significantly above par. Yeah, right. I yield eight percent. So if if I can if I can give you the answer, there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of real money investors, insurance companies, pension funds, endowments. They cannot they cannot hold defaulted debt, so they are not having they are not having exposure into these bonds, and they are willing to have, especially if Argentina that it's uh, in the global index, they are waiting around 1.5%. If Argentina issues around $20 billion in foreign law, we would be representing around 4.5 of the index. And that's around $5 billion of, of natural demand. So yeah, we see a lot of, a lot of uh, interest here and we see a lot of interest for the new issuance as well. But the, the thing is that the new issuance is very, very high. I think, in my opinion, and this is my personal opinion, Brian Joseph, that the 12 billion or 11.7 billion for the holders is a done deal. That the sovereign already has a firm bid for that. In fact, some of the banks have said that to Brad Guy already. Um, but to, to, to give you some color, we we are seeing a lot of very senior guys from very big companies visiting the country uh, uh, very oftenly for the last couple of, of months. So. I think that that's a done deal. The, the, the wariness here is who is going to be the buyer for the next $8 billion, right? Uh, so Argentina has to create a natural demand to participate in the index and uh, to, to start solving some, some questions that Alejo is going to mention right now that are of, of huge wariness for, for some investors, like the, the fiscal deficit. Right. So uh, just to to, uh, to uh, finish with the with the hold of the issue, really, uh, the main dates that people have to look at are uh, April 14. Um, even when the hearing is in, in April 13, with a couple of the the, the holdouts, the largest holdouts, which are Elliot and Aurelius, Argentina had reached an agreement to make a payment before April 14, uh, up to April 14. Now the fact that the the Court of Appeal set the date that April 13 for the hearing means that Argentina will not be able to issue debt before that and that unless the country uses cash or gets some type of loan from the central bank, the Republic is not going to be able to make the payment by April 14 and that means that they're going to have to negotiate some type of extension there. The second uh, key reference date is uh, June 6, which is when Argentine's offer for all the holdouts expire. Um, so far, the country has been successful uh, sweeping a good chunk of the holdouts, and the most of the, the ones that remain are either those that don't see the offer attractive, as a particular group of individual bondholders that have uh, appeal at, at the appeals court, or those whose statutes of limitations in the bonds uh, have, um, have already mean that the bonds have expired, and Argentina has made explicit that it's not going to make an offer on any of those. So uh, let's move to the macroeconomic side, which, as Brian mentioned, in particular on the fiscal side, is one of the, the main drivers looking forward. And on the fiscal side, really the biggest problem that the, that this administration had is 
is the legacy you receive, right? Uh, on the fiscal side, when you look at the financial deficit for 2015, basically what, what they received was a deficit of 6.6% of GDP, sorry, 7.6% of GDP. This for Argentina is the largest deficit in 25 years, and it's in the top five among the largest deficits ever in the country. Um, so you can imagine how serious the, the situation is and how difficult it is for this administration to start trimming expenditure uh, and in particular subsidies uh, to reduce that deficit to a level that is manageable. Uh, the biggest concern is that, is that the previous administration was funding a big chunk of the deficit, the majority actually, with local funding. And local funding really had two legs. One of them was really an inflation tax because it was the central bank uh, simply printing money. And the second part was the local market. This administration wants to stop money printing to fund the fiscal deficit because part of their goals is to reduce inflation. And then they understand uh, rightly that there is a big monetary component in inflation dynamics right now. But still, they, they really cannot do that from one day to the next. So this year, we're still going to have some funding from the central bank. So just to give you a reference, in peso terms, the central bank is going to transfer around 160 billion pesos to the Treasury, that's around $10 billion. That's money printing only. And, and says the Social Security Agency, really the, the sovereign wealth fund that is part of ANSES, is going to transfer around 65 billion pesos. What we calculate is that taking into account the deficit that will come down from the financial side to around 6.5%, so that's a point lower than what we had last year. And that's really uh, thanks to to a significant reduction in subsidies, mainly the government reduced subsidies in electricity, on the gas sector, natural gas sector, and transportation, which were the biggest part of the subsidies. Part of that was counterbalanced by, by uh, lower export tariffs and um, some reductions in the VAT tax, which is going to be announced um, in a couple of days, and, and a reduction in the income tax they're going to have to fund the, their financial needs through three sources. The first one is the one we mentioned before, which is around $7 billion of foreign borrowing. The second one is multilateral. Uh, there's already approved around $3.5 billion of loans. And the third one is the local market. And the, the local market, we calculate around $7 billion of issuance. This is local currency bonds. They're... Uh, Really, the, the biggest uh, impact in terms of price is going to be on local rates, which are already really high, and the, the local issuance with good pressure there, and on, as, as we mentioned, on dollar yields, uh, from the fact that this supply, in addition to the holdup issue, will be, uh, will, it will take some time for the market to digest that supply. Now, in the meantime, the problem they have is that even when they want to reduce inflation, there is a big concern among, among the population on how fast inflation have, has increased. In particular, because the reduction in, in subsidies on the electricity side and the natural gas side and the transportation side, it all means that eventually you're going to have a lower inflation tax. You, you may be able to reduce money printing, and that will mean lower inflation. But on the impact, the impact is that initially what you have is higher prices because 
that's what people see in terms of the CPI, right? Higher electricity tariffs, which went up on average 400%. Higher natural gas tariffs, which went up 300% on average, and 100% increment in transportation, public transportation. So all that adds up to inflation, which we calculate will end the year around 35% year on year. And in the meantime, it does reduce its money printing, but the reality is that until the government can have access to uh, foreign markets, the only thing that the central bank has managed to do is they're still transferring resources to the treasury, and what they have done is they sterilize those with uh, short-term bills. And those short-term bills had to uh, have a high rate. Right now, the rate is 41%. So it's becoming really expensive for the, the government to fund the fiscal deficit, because implicitly what they're doing is funding the fiscal deficit with uh, short-term bills from the central bank. Now, in, what that means is uh, the central bank is really buying time through this kind of policy. This comes back to the literature from the 70s and the 80s on this monetarist approach. They're really buying time in the sense that they're just postponing inflation in a way, until the expectation of, of really three things. The first one is that the fiscal deficit indeed, go, indeed goes down, and that is part of the, the plan. They have a fiscal consolidation pact uh, for the next four or five years, which is aggressive, and it means that the primary deficit will come down to less than half a point by 2019. The second one is that the economy recovers, so growth picks up and, and people hold more cash, the most bill, more bills. And the third one is that the government replaces that local funding, that money printing with uh, foreign funding. And that's really the plan that this administration has. Still, as I mentioned, inflation has been high, a little bit above market, uh, what, sorry, what the government expected, in part because the, the main drivers right now for inflation are still uh, exchange rate, wage negotiations, which in Argentina have a big role because they, have, they really set the pace for non-tradable inflation, and of course, as I mentioned, administered tariffs. Really, the biggest concern so far in terms of anchoring expectations and the difficulty the government has had there is that that has led to a lot of volatility in the FX market. So for those of you interested in local currency positions, if you look at the volatility in annual terms for the FX, it has been around 18% in the, since January. And that high volatility meant that for some people, the trade in local currency has been extremely successful, and for some people, it has been the opposite. Um, really, for those looking at local, local currency positions, the entry point is really fundamental there. The volatility is really high. And in part, as I mentioned, the volatility is high because expectations are not well anchored. Uh, not regarding... Sorry, I actually have a question about uh, inflation statistics and, and, uh, and other associated <laughs> uh, economic figures. And if so, what is the what, what's your expectation on that? Yeah, I'm I'm 100% confident that, that that those statistics will be reliable. Uh, in fact, I know the people that are working on the CPI right now, and I can assure you that those will be reliable and they they will be top notch from the methodological perspective. Uh, but it will take time. And what that means is that only by June we're going to start seeing the new uh, um, statistics on the inflation side. So that means that really the, the, the government, in particular the central bank, at least for, for three more months, three or four more months, they're really going to be working without, the, uh, without really any instruments, right? Um, so from that perspective, uh, I, we believe that, well, that it will be extremely reliable.
Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, really, as I mentioned, really on the, on the FX side, the main drivers have been the uh, on wages, on the side of wages, and uh, like the pressure on non on non tradable inflation. Uh, really, Argentina, when you look at the current level of the change rate, it's a little bit more competitive than what it was um, a year ago, uh, but it's, need, it's still not extremely competitive. In fact, we still calculate that the currency at these levels is overvalued by between 10 and 15 percent. When you compare the exchange rate in Argentina, the real exchange rate, so measuring competitiveness, multilateral real exchange rate in the last decade, really this is the level that uh, is similar to what we saw in 2010, 2011, but it's significantly below any other year. Um, so from that perspective, there seems to be some type of overvaluation in the currency, and the expectation that the market has is that as Argentina solves the hold of the issue and normalizes a big chunk of their macroeconomic policies, we're going to start seeing some inflows that are going to put some pressure on the currency in real terms, of course. Argentina has high inflation. That means that the currency has a constant trend to, to depreciate in nominal terms. But in real terms, the, the expectation is that the currency will appreciate. And that's why our forecast for the FX by the end of the year is around 17. Right now, the, the change rate is 14 and a half. That gives you a reference of where we expect the change rate. It is mainly driven by the fact that wage negotiations will be between 30 and 35 percent. And at the end of the day, really, what Argentina cannot afford is to have much higher dollar salaries, in particular in a context where the Brazilian real, uh, which for Argentina, Brazil is by far the largest trading partners, trading partner, right. has uh, depreciated uh, significantly. Yeah. Now. Overall, there is a question on how much dollars Argentina will need. Uh, some people believe that it's not only about the issuance, but it's also about the dollars you're going to need to fund uh, the economy in general terms. When you look at Argentina's, Argentina's current account deficit, it's around $13 billion. Um, and the majority of that can, can be funded through inflows um, that, we, that were already part of, of, of Argentina's dynamics. And so, if anything, what we calculate is that under the, the, the numbers I gave you in terms of issuances and what Brian mentioned before, which is between the corporate and the provincial to have around six billion of additional issuances, we calculate that Argentina will actually accumulate reserves throughout the year. In particular, if there's some type of tax amnesty for many Argentinians holding uh, uh, money abroad. So, overall, really, the, the cons it makes sense that the currency will appreciate in real terms because we do expect some type of in net inflows. Uh, there is a concern, though, as I mentioned, on the exchange rate, the fact that the exchange rate will be slightly overvalued in real terms, but we believe that's something that the economy can live with. Really, the main takeaway from, from that is that if you look at the whole economic plan for, for this administration, in particular on the fiscal side, but also on the monetary side, it's all grounded on an economy that recovers in the second half of the year and that starts growing at around 4% by 2017. So Argentina needs the economy to recover from the political perspective for this government to have a good chance in 2017 elections. They need a healthier and a more, um, uh, more active and, and a moving economy. Um, so from that perspective, they need the economy to recover and they need it to, to recover fast. That is the right. second half of the year. 
The first signs we had in the first half of the year have been extremely negative. Uh, most of the indicators point to a contraction between two and four points of activity in the first quarter. So that has been a really a red light there for the government. What they trust is that once inflows start kicking in and we start seeing some first dollars from debt issuances, infrastructure and construction will sort of move the economy, will ignite growth. Um, and from that perspective, that they, that's why they expect the second half of the year to be much better than the first half. We are constructive. We believe Argentina can, can grow around 4%, but really the main driver looking forward has to be investment. If you look at Argentine's growth in the last few years, I think there's two really uh, marked signs. The first one is that from the demand side, really consumption has been the main driver. Argentina pretty much has been expanding out of favorable terms of trade. And that's really what explained growth in the last decade. Unfortunately, from the part of accounting in, in, uh, in terms of growth, really CFP, the factor of productivity, has been close to zero in terms of growth. And capital accumulation has been extremely slow. In fact, Argentina has the lowest investment to GDP ratio of the region, 16%. So for the next five years, growth has to come from investment. We calculate so that investment has If that's sorry, the case, yeah, sorry. Uh, given that uh, investment is such a critical part uh, of Argentina's success, <laughs> uh, I, I, was, I was reading uh, before this call that uh, there's a distinct possibility that MSCI might reclassify Argentina as an emerging market uh, versus its current classification as frontier. Um, I read that if that happens, uh, that could that would obviously open the country up to an entirely new wave of institutional investors from abroad. Um, and I think the number I saw was that the potential exists for up to three billion in new FDI. Uh, entering the country in the form of the equity markets, um, is is that significant? I mean, would that? I mean, how much of an impact would that have um, if if it were to happen? And well, uh, in your opinion, what's the likelihood that, that reclassification actually happens? Well, we believe it's extremely likely. In fact, uh, Argentina really was part of those those frontier markets, not only because of the holdout issue, but also because of all the restrictions on the on the side of the capital account, the really financial account. And those have been dismantled. Almost the majority has been dismantled. Uh, also, the, I mean, the whole of the issue is almost resolved. So we believe that that should happen very fast um, this year. Uh, and from that perspective, really, the FDI is part of the, the really there is a wide expectation that, that Argentina will receive a significant amount of FDI. Really, for Argentina, when you look at how much financial inflows, really inflows, let's say total inflows from the financial account, how much Argentina will need to have those six points of investment that we calculate. We calculate it's going to need between 25 and $30 billion. Now, that includes everything, right? Every dollar that gets in the country. That includes debt issuances. It includes portfolio flows and debt issuances at both levels, right? The, the corporate and the national level, the public level. And it also includes FDI, as you mentioned. So $25 billion, it's the high amount, uh, it's sort of in the, the same scale as what our neighbors have been receiving in terms of GDP. So for Argentina, it's around five points of GDP. 
It's right. possible, but it's, you certainly need everything to move in the right direction. And what you mentioned on the MSCI is it's it's one of those things, right? Right. Yep. Uh, no, I, that that absolutely makes sense. And then for a foreign investor, uh, when when you're looking at all of these 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 positive trends that you just discussed. Uh, for for the investor, maybe they're institutional or a high net worth individual. If they want to uh, to, to to get exposure to the Argentine market right now, what what's your advice? The best way to do that, whether it be across all asset classes. I think, and uh, this is Ryan, and I'll, I'll, I'll chip in for a minute, and, and then I'll leave Alejo again. I think you have two two separate worlds. Uh, you have the in-house market, the domestic market, as there are still some restrictions on the on the FX market, there are still some uh, securities that are not traded abroad, and of course, uh, most of the investors are foreign. So you have the, all the equities and, and foreign bonds like YPF, USNR, on the bonds you have all the provinces, the corporates, the sovereigns, but there's a lot of local opportunities that you have to but you have to have a local account and for that you need some paperwork done um, that I'm not going to get in detail right now <clears throat> and, and, and that's, that's a word that very few institutional investors are, are seeing right now because they don't want to take the risk of investing in Argentina and then not being able to pull the money out. Right. But, um, this, that, that is a world that, that is not huge. Uh, it's gonna disappear soon, as soon as the FX restrictions get loose or loosen at, at, at least. Um, and but that we are seeing some institutional investors taking into consideration. Just to give you a brief example, if you go to the primary auctions of the weekly central bank bills and you buy the local NDF, you get a 20% or a 17% return in dollars. Of course, it's a three-month trade but you get 17% in dollars. Um, you can only do that if you have a local account. And then you have the rest of the world where most of the institutional investors are, are looking at, and Alejo will, will tell you what are the, the instruments where we see more value. But uh, take into consideration, I don't know who's, who's hearing from the other side, but take into consideration to take a look to the local markets because it's really worth it, and it won't last much. Right. So. On the liquid side, uh, to complement what Brian just mentioned, um, we have the market has priced in most of the juice that's left at least for this year in terms of uh, capital gains. So there's not that much there, but yields are still really attractive. So from that perspective, we have been moving to the front end of the curve, uh, where you can find yields between eight and ten percent. 10% uh, in the case of, for example, dollar linked bonds, which are bonds that are, that are subscribed and, and paid in local currency, but it, there's no FX risk because they are dollar linked. And there's also inter interesting opportunities on the provincial side of the debt, for example, the province of EA or the province of Cordoba. So we have been recommending those aggressively in, in the front end, finding yields for bonds that mature between 2017 and 18, around 9%, in our view, is extremely attractive. Now, on the back end of the curve, where there might be some capital gains left, but only in the medium term, uh, in the medium term, we believe Argentina could 
should trade around 7%, but the, really the supply that we're going to see in the market will push it towards 8 And we believe it's going to take between 6 months and a year for the market to digest the issues. So what that means is that maybe by next year you will have a yield around 7% by the beginning of next year, but in the but that will take time and the capital gain is not going to be that much. There is some left. Now, among those bonds uh, on the back end of the curve, uh, we prefer the euro pars. Uh, some large funds have uh, been selling those aggressively uh, to reduce positions because they were there, they were in the Argentine trade mainly for the holder resolution. Um, and that has meant that the technicals have been a little bit negative, but in our view, that's a buying opportunity. It means that you're going to have a bond that where the compression in terms of yields is going to be wider than for the rest of the bonds, and that's why euro parts are an attractive opportunity. So okay. in addition to that, uh, really on the local currency side, a bunch of investors have been taking advantage of the high local rates. The central bank has been forced to keep rates high uh, to anchor inflation expectations and in, in part to anchor effect expectations. And what that has meant is that local rates in the, in the, for like short maturity between 35 and 90 days are between 37, 36-37% and 41% in pesos, right? Now, we believe the effects will be range-bounded in the short term, so that has been an, an extremely attractive opportunity too on the local currency side. People have been making dollar returns of 20% there, but of course this is a short-term trade. And in addition to that, on the equity side, we also have an equity team that, that covers the, the larger companies in Argentina. We have been recommending uh, Banco Macro. Uh, Banco Macro is, is a bank that has a very low level of leverage, and they have presence in, in most of Argentina, and they could easily exploit the potential increase in intermediation, which is part of the expectations looking forward for the country. And the second recommendation you have made is, is the most liquid uh, stock in, in Argentina, which is YPF. We have a positive view of YPF. We believe that we have a target price of $23 for, for the company. Uh, and we believe that YPF, in particular in the, in the sector of natural gas, we will to exploit a, a local policy that will still create, create high incentives for natural gas production. Where is uh, the at the moment? 17. 17, around 17, YPF. Yeah, YPF are on 17. Okay, and you got to YPF, we have seen the correlation of <coughs> YPF and, uh, and the, the oil price for the last two years, and they almost has a, have a, a perfect correlation. What people doesn't understand, or market doesn't understand very well, is that Argentina has an internal policy of a, of a subsidized price for, for oil. Um, that it's around $65 right now, and international price is around 40 And on the other side, and someone could, could argue that, well, that policy can change in, in a month or two. And I would say that YPF uh, has $2.5 billion of debt. Uh, that's uh, less than 1% of, of, of the country's GDP, and the sovereign has 51% of, 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 owns 51% of YPF. There is no chance that you can compare. I mean, I'm not going to put all the pieces. Uh, I, I, I could gladly send the paper that we wrote on YPF, but you cannot play the YPF deal as you play Petrobras, for example, especially right now with the, all the Brazilian corruption 
I mean, we had corruption in right. Argentina for the last 30 years. It's not not news. Uh, but uh, the, the YPF has been has been invested or has been played from from investors as an oil play, and it's not. It's it's mostly going to be a gas play. And one of our best picks on on equities is a local equity, is not listed abroad. That is Petrolera Pampa. It belongs to Pampa Group. That yes has a has an ADR. That they are the owners of Transener, TGS, Enol, uh, etc. Uh, and they have 95% of their business are uh, gas contracts with YPF. And Galucho, before leaving, and very wisely, he said that YPF was going to shift towards the gas market, where Argentina uh, imports more than 70% of, of, uh, of the consumption of gas is, is, is imported from abroad, uh, from, from, sorry, from Bolivia to, to cover all the northern part necessities, but mostly from shipments, and we don't have contracts, so we're paying ridiculous prices for those shipments. Um, so there's a lot of margin for YPF to be done there. And another thing is, for the last couple of years, YPF has been supported by the government, and they were uh, making populist policies with all the employees. Uh, the company right now is facing, uh, uh, facing a process to be much more efficient uh, on, on the labor-wise, uh, just for example, one one worker that that lived far away from the plant, they stayed to 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 sleep at the at the workplace, and they got paid extra hours. Well, that represented a lot of a lot of losses for the company, and that's going to change very soon. So we expect a very very good year for YPF. And does uh, does YPF pay a dividend? No, they haven't paid dividends in a while. In fact, the company has been aggressive in terms of capital, uh, of capex. Um, so we don't expect them to pay a dividend for a few years, actually. Okay. And uh, we, uh, we, we've got about eight minutes left here, John. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground. And I wonder if we could just spend the last couple of minutes before the Q&A uh, talking about the equity sure. market. Um, what what about uh, the ADRs um, for like Argentine companies that have ADRs, which which would be of obvious interest to a lot of our listeners uh, in the U.S. or in or in Europe, which is where most of them uh, hail from? Are there um, what are the uh, what, what are the companies with uh, in Argentina with ADRs that are worth uh, taking a closer look? It's YPF. Oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. It's YPF. Enor, that is a utility. Banco Galicia, Banco Macro, Banco Frances, uh -huh. and uh, Banco Frances BBUVA in Argentina. Okay. Sorry, it's BBUVA Banco Frances. That's why I'm used to call it Banco Frances. Um, and then you have uh, the company from Ah Usa. Sorry again, uh, Usa Commercial uh, Commercial Properties. And then uh, you have a company that is listed in Luxembourg that is uh, the, from the Pechin Group that is one of the biggest private groups here still in, in Argentina. Uh, but mainly for what we recommended is Banco Magro and YPF. Okay, so they, are, you, they, both have, they both have ADRs and we cover both of them and we have reports if you want to, to send them to your investors. Yeah, that, that, that'd be great. We'll follow up with you for that. So you mentioned, I believe you mentioned three banks uh, YPF, and Macro. Yeah, and the, so YPF, for those who don't know, I believe that's the uh, the state-owned oil company, or rather, the state owns 51 percent 
of YPF. Uh, I believe Repsol is the minority partner in that in that uh, company. No, Repsol not anymore. Well, bought out from the government. Oh, that's right. No longer buying us. My mistake. Yeah, Repsol was floating on a couple of of private investors. Right. Understood. And then you, um, yeah, you mentioned a commercial property uh, uh, company yep. as well. Okay. Now and then. Uh, Utah, Utah is a real Utah is a real estate game where we see a lot of value in the next, starting from next year, when Argentina starts to recover. Uh, from the time being, we don't see it as a, as, a, as a great deal for the equity side. I think that it's going to get hit uh, by the economic contraction. As Alejo mentioned before, we expect a, a contraction in the economy for the first half of the year and a slow growth for the second half, ending the year in a, in a, in a very small contraction. Uh, but next year, if, if the government makes the adjustments on the fiscal side that they have to do, and for what we've seen and with, the, with what they've done so far uh, on the monetary program that the central bank is going gonna, is gonna to publish around April, May, and the investments that should have come from the issuance and the FDIs, I think that the recovery for Argentina is going to be a V-shape, and in that scenario, Isa will be a very good place. But for the time being, we're keeping up with them. Sure, understood. And then, are, uh, is your bank able to work with uh, foreign clients, for example, U.S. or European investors who might want to uh, take uh, to gain exposure to the Argentine equities market? We we don't have we don't have a, a we're not a broker dealer listed in the U.S. So. Uh, we are not going to be able to trade ADRs. Of course, we are able to trade ADRs, but perhaps we're not going to be as, to be honest, we're not going to be a, as competitive as a, as a U.S. broker. Um, right. Of course, where all our clients can buy ADRs. Um, but we do cover more than 500 institutional investors around the world, uh, both in equities and fixed income. For the equity side, for the time being, we know that it's going to be a, a, only a matter of relationship. Uh, unless they are willing to invest in Argentina, where yes, we are a listed broker, um, but mainly, as I said, I mean, the, our main relationship is through the the fixed income side. Until the market gets 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 uh, the re other restrictions get loose, and 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 we can and foreign investors can invest freely here in Argentina, right? Understood. So then, and then obviously, uh, we we've got quite a few. Uh, institutional investors in our network, uh, several of whom are on this call right now. If any of them want to contact you, then I assume that we can just forward their details and introduce you directly. Of course, you can. It would be our pleasure. Okay, uh, gentlemen, we we've covered a lot of ground as I said before. This has been a very insightful, very interesting conversation. We're uh, we're we're almost out of time, but. I did have uh, one question. Uh, one of my uh, one of our uh, readers is going to be very upset if I don't ask it, um, and it has to do with your neighbor uh, Brazil. And his question is that just as things are beginning to improve in Argentina, they're getting worse in Brazil. Uh, what's your assessment of the situation there? Uh, he wants to know is is Rousseff going to be impeached, and if so, how will that impact Argentina? <laughs> so on the, on the impeachment side, um, in our view, is that the chances have increased significantly. 
Um, at the end of the day, this is a political issue, and it's very hard to predict what what representatives will end up deciding. Um, we, rem uh, for, for all of us in Argentina, we remember the experience of Color de Melo, who went through the exact same uh, process, and, and eventually Color was uh, impeached and, and he was removed. Uh, we believe that the chances of that happening to Dilma is they're, they're high now. They're 70, 80 percent. It's always hard to say whether that will happen or not. The, the, the feeling is that for Argentina, the impact could be positive uh, and will be positive if, if, if Brazil comes back to a, a growth process. Um, if the political uncertainty is resolved, we the, the potential for, for Brazil and higher, higher growth in Brazil is there. You have to remember really the, the impact on, from Brazil and Argentina is on two sides, really on the more like financial side, the effect are highly correlated uh, because on the real side, 30% uh, of Argentine exports end up in Brazil. In particular, a big chunk of captive exports that only happen inside Mercosur. So from that perspective, really, a stronger real would help a little bit the plans on the inflation side for, for Argentina's government. And at the same time, a, a stronger economy would increase demand in particular from the industrial sector, where the correlation between the industrial production between Brazil and Argentina is close to one. I mean, it's amazing how close uh, they move in terms of industrial production. <coughs> so, really, the, like, the chances of, of Dilma being impeached, in fact, are actually good news for Argentina. Right. And uh, just, just one more comment on that. On the short term, let's say a year and a half, Argentina is going to have a, lot, a very close relationship. Uh, and, and uh, well, yeah, it's going to be like uh, a very, very correlated economy. But uh, the, one of the foreign policies of this, of this government is try to open new markets, right? And, and they said that they will, they will remain in the Mercosur only if it works. Uh, and it hasn't been working for the last couple of years. So perhaps we'll see a model like Chile doing a, a, an agreement with the U.S. or, or, or the European Union. Argentina will, will be able for the first time in five years to start exporting meat um, to, to the European community in the next, in the next month. So uh, you should see, you should start watching those, those small changes that can have big impact in, in one or two years. Very interesting. That'll certainly be uh, uh, something that we're all watching very closely. Uh, uh, Brian and Alejo, I really want to thank you for your time today. It's been a very uh, useful overview of the Argentine market, which has definitely captured everyone's attention, uh, Who anybody who follows emerging markets anyway, and certainly would like to follow up with you if we have any, any questions or feedback from our audience. Uh, once again, thank you for, very much for joining our webcast. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks for sharing everything you know about the Argentine market. Thank you for, for, for considering us. And of course, we are open to any other questions. If uh, some of the, the attendees want to have a private conversation with us through you, uh, I mean, that's, that's an open offer. Uh, if, you, if you need the, the, the research, we can send it uh, about this, this, this one company. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, whoever needs anything, feel free to contact us. Perfect. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Thank you, Kevin. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. -bye. Cheers. Bye.